All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for gathering this family together on this special day that you've ordained since eternity past, Father. Thank you so much for the peace and the quiet and the space to do this very thing, to study your word, to fellowship together in the unity of the faith, Father. Thank you for being so patient with us, Father, and thank you for teaching us humility and what patience truly is. Father, we know that you're patient as this world rejects your Son, though some may still be saved. And thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be vessels of mercy so that we might go out on this great commission that you've given us and win some souls so that we might have brothers and sisters in addition for all of eternity. Father, we pray also for those in the congregation that are ill that your spirit encourage them, that your divine grace heal them to whatever degree you deem necessary, Father, your will be done. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work whom you sent to cancel out that debt against us. We just ask for blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, why are the apostles so encouraging? By grace they were prepared. Part 34. I was thinking about this over the weekend. Um, peace. And this is where it started for me anyways. Peace. Everyone wants it. I mean, who doesn't want peace in their life? Isn't that the great thing that most people are after? They'd say, I'd give up everything I have if I had just had some peace in my life. Contentment. Uh, you, can keep the, you, know, you can keep the smiley faces even. I just want peace. Yet, so few have it. That's what I see. We were talking before class, and it's upsetting to me. I'm going to really hold on here because I'll start crying, and it's only been a minute. <clears throat> One of the weightiest things in this world, for me anyways, from my position in it, is to see the misery that just exists, uh, seen pervasively in this world. And I know why. It's because nobody wants Christ. Nobody has Christ anymore. And so they don't have his peace. Everybody wants this thing, but nobody wants the, the remedy. Go to John 14, 27. And it's just heartbreaking. I mean, I hate to start off Sunday morning that way, but uh, that's what's been on my heart. It's just heavy, and it's hard to handle sometimes. Everybody wants peace, but so few seem to have it. And I would argue that even people inside the faith um, struggle with it, lack it to some degree. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. A lot of us can stand here right now and say, I should be afraid of this or that, or, you know, I'm sick, or I'm, you know, downtrodden, or I'm this or I'm that. Um, and it would rob you of your peace if you let it. But Christ said, I give you my peace. Not the way the world gives you peace. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. We believers have been given so very much. And we have such grand access to God's peace that it's a crying shame that any one of us would ever be without it. It's just a shame, and it's, it's heartbreaking. Like any gift, we must receive it, though, with humility in order to fully enjoy it. And that brings up the topic of faith. 
faith. Without faith, there's no peace, you see. Whenever we read Holy Scripture regarding peace, there's one thing that comes to mind, faith. Without faith, it's impossible to enjoy the abundance of God's grace gifts. Again, whenever we read Holy Scripture regarding peace, there's one thing that comes to mind, that's faith. Without faith, it's impossible to enjoy such things as peace. Go to Philippians 4.6. Philippians 4.6. So this is the problem. If you peel back the onion, why unbelievers and even some believers, to some varying degree, lack peace, it's because they lack faith. Philippians 4.6 Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So if you are anxious or if you are feeling a little stressed out or if you're lacking peace, then go to Him in prayer. Make your requests be known to God. In the peace of God, there it is. In the peace of God, when you do that thing, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And you notice that in Christ Jesus means that this is exclusive. These are the exclusive rights of believers only. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, that's when Jesus said, I don't give you the way the world gives you peace. You see, the world will give you things that you can comprehend. The world will say, do this and you'll have peace. Do that and you'll have peace. Jesus said, I'll give you my peace. And it's going to surpass all human comprehension. But you've got to be humble enough to seek it out. Pray for it. Ask for it. How many people pray for those things? We were talking about that this morning as well. How often do you pray for just the fundamentals of spiritual living? How often do you say on your knees or just whenever you're in prayer even, God, deliver me from this thought I'm having. Deliver me from this angst or this anxiety or this depression that I'm suffering. Deliver me from it. I don't know how you're going to do it. I'm not coming to you, Father, with solutions. I'm not going to say, hey, give me this thing because I know it'll result in this thing. Just go to him in complete humility and say, I don't know what, I don't know where to turn to at this point, but this is what I'm looking for. You might be surprised. One might ask, if I'm saved, why do I not abide in His peace all day, every day? <laughs> the answer is that it is certainly available to you, but you have been deceived by the things of the world, including your enemies, of course. You have been deceived. Your faith is being tested all the time. All the time, your faith is being tested. And if you lack faith, you lack His peace. That's why we have passages like Ephesians 6, which in verse 16 says this, In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith. Why? Because it will guard your heart. Faith produces peace, as we just saw in the previous scripture. Peace garrisons or guards your heart in Christ Jesus. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What are flaming arrows? Those are the temptations from the world, from your enemies even. You are going, your faith is going to be tested every single day, all the time. Which means that your peace is under assault. So if you fail the test and you fail and you, you know, temptation gives birth to sin, then you lose that peace for some time, or at least some portion of it. That's why you're doing what you're doing right now. Take up the shield of faith. Take up the Word of God. Keep plugging on. Keep going forward. 
Pray. If you don't know what's going on, then keep on praying. Keep giving thanks. And that's where you find your peace. The world's never going to tell you that. It's possible you've fallen into the same trap that unbelievers literally live in. And that is thinking that the world has something good to offer you. As if to say that good gifts can originate from below. Go to James 1.16. James 1.16. You see, that's the lie that's peddled in this world. You want happiness? Go to the world. You want peace? Go to the world. You want contentment? Go to the world. You want this? Go to the world. There's always a counterfeit. That's what Satan specializes in. There's always some counterfeit, and it tends to be a shortcut. Even in churches, I mean, just go to some church that's going to blow smoke up your butt, right, every day. Oh, you're wonderful. Just, you know, you do, just, just show up and, you know, make sure you put money in the basket, though. But just show up. You know, you don't have to learn. You don't have to actually seek, you know, like the Bible says, seek and find. There's no tenacity. There's nothing. There's no, there's no perseverance. Just, you know, say this little prayer. You're good. You're saved. You know, I'll throw you in the tank. You come out and you're like, oh, you know, kumbaya. We'll throw a little party for you. We'll have some spaghetti, you know, and everything will be grand. And I'll just keep on lying to you. Or you can have the truth. And the truth, what? Sets you free. James 1.16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. What's he talking about? Good things don't come from below. <laughs> Do not be deceived. Every good thing, every good thing, not some, not maybe some, not most, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from where? Above. Huh. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow, in the exercise of his will he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save, to deliver your souls. You having that problem? Receive the word. Why? Because it's the only thing that can deliver you. I can't deliver you. I might give a good sermon and you might be jazzed up and... You know, I do my part, and there's a certain element to it that's godly, etc. But the power is not in this vessel. The power is what comes out of this vessel. The power is in the Word of God. And that's what James is saying here. In humility, though, key word, humility, receive the Word implanted, which is able to what? Save your souls. Not just at salvation, but you're saved daily, if you remember that teaching. But prove yourselves. You're ready for this? And then he gets real. You're like, oh, I like that. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Huh. One of the awesome things about the book of James is that it is very practical. Love it. Because it's not, you know, there's a lot of academics. I've met many of them. I've read many of them. I have a lot of, I have a whole bookshelf here and at my house, my home office uh, with just chock full of books of individuals who are very academic, very astute in theology. Um, but who's to say how they do the word? I know they know their theology, but I don't know. And I think people get caught in this trap. And they forget about the practical side of living. And when you forget about the practical side of living, you want to know what one of the first things to go is? You ready? You want to take a guess? Peace. It's one of the first things to exit stage left. Gone. When you become an academic snob and you stop living the spiritual life, when there's no practicality to your life, you know where you're actually really and truly fulfilling the Great Commission, going out and trying to save souls? You know that kind of a thing, that kind of an attitude? Living for Christ? Living for others? When that 
does not happen in a practical sense in your life, your peace goes out the door. So one of the awesome things about the book of James is that it is very practical. It was meant for those who were confused about faith and works. For just as it is today, back then it was easy to slip into false doctrine, living in a way that was contrary to godliness. There's nothing godly about living in an ivory tower and turning your nose down to other people who might not have as much scripture memorized as you do or as many fancy theological multisyllabic words or hyphenated words that you have memorized. Big, stinking deal. Some of the most godly people I've ever met rarely use words over two syllables. And I don't say that to be belittling at all. Actually, it's a huge compliment. <laughs> most of the jackasses in the faith I've met are intelligent people. Oh, I'm, I'm a pretty intelligent guy. So when I look in the mirror, what do you think I see? I see a guy who at least used to be a complete jackass. I mean, I'm better now. <laughs> that was my best donkey. Nobody? I just show my teeth, right, DJ? Good enough? It's easy to slip into false doctrines living in a way that's contrary to godliness. As James states very clearly, not only does true faith produce works, but we ought to be doers of the word. Why? Do you think this is legalism? You think I'm up here going to teach you legalism? Be doers of the word or else you're going to hell or you're just not going to... No. What do you think he's teaching? He's saying be doers so you can have his peace. Live and walk like Jesus Christ for crying out loud. Try it out for one day. Put it on. You know, put on and duo. Put on Christ. What do you think every writer in the New Testament was talking about? Learn this stuff and then never live it? Or learn it and then live it and then have that peace for real? Not that it's some academic thing, some definition that you've got memorized, or some Greek word. That's not peace. That's not doing the word. But yet, so many people, I think, that's what they think. That's how they live. And they wonder why they're miserable. Why they spend most of their time, these intellectual idiots, tearing down other people in the faith. Why? Because they don't have any peace themselves. And so their biggest thing is creature credit. I'm going to tear that one down to elevate myself. That sounds like worldly thinking. And it actually is worldly thinking. And that's not real peace. Hmm. So James is very clear that true faith produces works, but also that we ought to be doers of the word. And so if we tie this whole of Scripture together, what we may rightly conclude is that since faith produces works, then we ought to walk in those works or be doers of them. Then what might we conclude about where and how we might enjoy the peace of God? How are we going to enjoy the peace of God then? The answer is simple. Walk in a manner that produces peace in your soul. Oh, wait, that's way too practical. No, it's not. Walk in a manner that produces peace in your soul. What does the Bible say about the ship of fools? Join them and you become a fool. You don't think the you don't you really don't think at this point that this is a practical Manuscript, this is practical? You're insane if you don't think that. You're not reading the same Bible. You're reading it under the wrong lens or with the wrong filter. You're not letting truth through to you. And it's not me trying to say, oh, go out today and go be this good little doobie and be all legalistic because that's another idiotic thing to do. But what the Bible does say is walk in the manner, specifically in a manner worthy of the Lord, and you will have peace. This is where peace is. You don't get the peace by simply learning something. The answer is simple. Walk in a manner that produces peace in your soul. Of course, God the Holy Spirit's there right with you, empowering that walk. We know all this. 
but you still have to make that daily decision to walk, right? And that is your encouragement for today. For today. I'm not closing right now, but <laughs> walk in a manner that produces peace in your soul. As the Bible explicitly states, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In other words, if you want His peace, then walk the way He walked, to whatever degree is possible. Yeah. Because whose peace is it? His. Who had more peace than Him? Nobody. So don't you think He would be a really good person to follow? Some will argue, well, that's impossible. Jesus is perfect. And trying to walk like him would be like putting myself on a works program. Well, my friends, I say that you have supernatural power to walk the way he did right now. Unless you think the Holy Spirit's impotent. But you see, the problem is you don't believe it yet. That's the problem. You don't believe it yet. Or maybe you do and you still prefer the power of walking in the flesh from time to time. Maybe that's your problem. Maybe that's why you've been limping around for so long. No offense, Monica. She's got a knee brace on. Everybody's like, wow, why is he picking on her? Am I next? Yes, you are. Brian's like, oh, man, this one-on-one's going to stink. He's in a mood. No. Maybe, maybe that's why you're limping around, because you don't believe it yet. Maybe there's a faith issue. Maybe God gives grace to the humble and you don't have the faith because you're arrogant. Maybe that's how you can trace it all the way back to the origins. Maybe that's why you don't have peace. Because somewhere, somehow, you are still arrogant. And therefore, you don't believe these things yet. You don't have faith in these things yet. Therefore, you don't have peace that you rightly have access to. Whatever the case may be, here's the point I'm trying to make with you up here on the board. Walk by faith. If you want his peace, then do as his word has instructed you. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Colossians 1.10. Go to Colossians 1.9. Colossians 1.9. If you want his peace, then do as his word has instructed you. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Is that practical enough for you? It doesn't say learn the way he learned. It says walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk. You know what that means? You ready? You ready? Here's today's graphic. Here it goes. That's you. Look at Woo! There's movement. There's activity. There's a practicality to walking. Don't try to write it off as some spiritual thing. Don't over-spiritualize these things. And I'm not talking about just walking. I hope you know what I'm saying. Hey. Colossians 1.9 For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what He's doing with you right now. He's giving you spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will what? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please Him in all respects. Bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power. According to His glorious might. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the, of the saints in light. Is that practical enough for you? I think so. If James wasn't practical enough, well, here we have Paul. Paul was a pretty practical guy as well. What I've learned is that folks that like to mince James's words in the book after his name are usually the same ones who have mangled grace. The same ones who have mangled grace. And when they do that, their only retort is to scream legalism or works program. When someone like myself teaches exactly what's in plain print in the Bible. 
If you don't like the simple fact that a true believer will produce works by grace through faith, then you don't like God's grace. You like some perversion of it. You don't like God's grace. Not really. You say you do. You like the word grace. You like the idea of grace accommodating your preconceptions about God's plan. But you really don't like God's grace. You like some perversion of it. One that's not so practical, you see. Yet, Paul encouraged believers to work out their salvation. And I've taught you this. Work out is activity-based as well. Work out their salvation, which really means to roll up your sleeves and be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. What am I teaching you? I'm teaching you that this is how you find peace. This is not a class that's legalistic at all. I'm telling you, this is how you find peace. You actually walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You actually live this life. You don't just come to church on Sundays, fill up your little brains, and then go home and live the life that you lived before you got here. Some life of what? I don't know. What do you, do? What do you people do on the weekends? <laughs> Some of you are looking awfully guilty. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have made that post on Facebook. Now he's on to me. <laughs> like this is about me and you. Such is the point the Spirit's been making so far this morning that if you do walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, you will abide in peace. That's the point. It's not to be legalistic or a Johnny Do-Good. It's to get your own peace. If you want it, then walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. If you don't walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, what do you want me to say to you? Do you want me to tell you the obvious truth? You're a jackass. You're an idiot. These are the same things I say to myself when I'm not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And don't say, oh, I don't know. You know exactly when you're not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Is that fair to say? You know exactly. So stop with the little technicalities that you used to use with your parents when you were a kid, especially a teenager. But did you say? Sounds like Satan, doesn't it? But did he say? But I thought you said... So if you want to abide in peace, then ask yourself, am I walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? Sounds easy enough to me. If you walk by means of the flesh, you will sacrifice said peace to whatever degree that reality exists in your life. Hence Paul's aforementioned encouragement. Go to Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12. You know, it's an interesting thing that people do, they sort of um, go back and forth and back and forth. Licentiousness, legalism, licentiousness, legalism. Philippians 2.12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's right. Work it out. Work out your salvation. This is for believers. This is not for an unbeliever. Hey, work out your salvation because you're going to go to the lake of fire. No, this is for believers. Work that thing out. I, I know I'm being kind of funny, right? I'm doing it on purpose. I have a much bigger vocabulary, I, I promise you. I'm doing this on purpose. Why? Because he wants this to be a practical conversation this morning. That's why. He doesn't want all the highfalutin, not that I use them anymore, but highfalutin theological terms. If you want them, I can give them to you, but it's not going to be very comfortable for either one of us. But I can give them to you. But what's that going to do? Confuse you? Puff you up? Feed your flesh? Been there, done that. Work out your own salvation. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You know exactly what the Spirit's saying to you. Right now, don't you? So whatever it is, you, you know, you're doing or you're planning on doing or you've been doing, cut it out. 
That's, that's the culprit why you don't have peace. And stop blaming everybody else, including your parents and your grandparents and your aunts and your uncles and everybody else that looked at you cross-eyed when you were a kid. Stop blaming everybody for your problems that you don't have peace. When Jesus Christ said, my peace I give to you. I didn't give it to your parents to give to you. I gave it to you. So if you're saved, guess what? You have access to it. So work out your own salvation. Walk as unto the Lord. Put on Jesus Christ. Does any of this ring a bell? Do these things and then you will have peace. Maybe if you stop flapping your gums for a moment and listened, you'd be good. Just saying. Personal experience. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We don't have a maniacal God that says, hey, get on this treadmill over here called legalism, and I'm just going to laugh. I'm going to mock and laugh at you the entire time while you chase this carrot that you're never going to get. He's not like that. That's what religion does. God says, look, I'm doing this for my own good pleasure. I want you to have my peace because it brings glory to me. I don't make, I'm not making these things unattainable for some ridiculous reason. Again, faith. Whenever we read Holy Scripture regarding peace, there's one thing that comes to mind, faith. Without faith, it's impossible to enjoy the abundance of God's grace gifts. Faith allows the most undeserving, pathetic, weak individuals to step out. Let me say that again and dwell on it. Faith allows the most undeserving, pathetic, weak individuals to step out. Imagine that. Also, it's the one thing that allows mere man to reconcile otherwise incomprehensible realities of God, beginning with his salvation plan. How did I get where I'm at right now even? This is like a miracle. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I like the way Peter speaks to all of this. Go to 1 Peter 1.6. 1 Peter 1.6. I hope you see what the Spirit's trying to teach you this morning. It's really important. There's freedom in it. There's peace in it. There's practical living in it. I think a lot of people... I know for a fact that probably, I don't maybe I don't even know, but maybe the majority of you will leave this place and be like, that was, that was like a good meal. I don't know what he's talking I'm not changing a damn thing about my life. And you'll say that too, because you, you think you guys don't swear? You, oh, oh, how can you say damn from the pulpit? Get over yourself. Because you're going to go out there and drop F-bombs, A-bombs, B-bombs, D-bombs, you know, everything. So don't get all hoity-toity like I'm supposed to, you know, not know what's going on. 1 Peter 1.6 In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith... Oh, what I love this verse. The proof of your faith being more precious than gold. Okay, let me ask you a question. If you don't walk... How's there any proof that you go from point A to point B? If you don't walk, how is there any proof about sanctification even? If you don't get up and move in the spiritual life, how's there any proof? Isn't that the proof of your faith? Don't, isn't a stepping out on faith, doesn't that imply a step forward? You step forward and step out on faith, and then you step out on faith, and every day is a step out on faith. Isn't that walking? Well, if you don't do that thing, then where's the proof? And what does Peter say? He says that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold. You want something special? Walk. Stop complaining. Stop calling your buddies. (laughs) My life is so tough. Please. Just shut up and walk. And it's a tough Sunday morning, huh? Any visitors? Probably like, oh my goodness. This is the way it is. Welcome to North Christian Church. We got one? Oh, Tommy, all right. All right. Not to call anybody out, but. (laughs) 
I'd say it's not always like this, but I'd lie. So the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable. Put that into the context of this morning's message. There's a practical side to the faith, to the faith. It's called walking. It's called being a doer of the word, not merely a hearer who deludes themselves. Everybody wants peace, but nobody actually wants to pursue it. That makes sense. They just want to learn about it. So the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation, the deliverance of your souls. Amen. Amen. Obtaining the, as the outcome of your faith. In other words, faith has results. If you step out on faith, if you ambulate, if you walk, guess what happens? You actually are delivered from what? Misery. And where is misery? From misery to what? Peace. The deliverance of your souls. Up here on the board. The salvation of your souls. This was the phrase Peter used to describe the result of having faith. Here, salvation means welfare, prosperity, deliverance, perseverance, salvation, safety. That's from Strong's. Refers to the continual deliverance from the power of sin. Yeah, that's what it means. You keep having faith, you keep delivered. Day by day, God saves you. God delivers you. Day by day. But what is his request? He says, you got to walk, my friends. There's a practical side to the faith, and it's not just coming in here and learning Scripture and then putting it on a shelf so it can collect dust till next Sunday. It, there's, an act, there's actually movement in the spiritual life. And the problem is most people that have grace all mangled, and these are some of the so-called intelligent people in the faith, they don't like that idea. And so they call it out as like legalism or something. Because they don't actually like the idea of the simplicity of actually walking in a manner worthy as under the Lord. So they spiritualize and over-spiritualize stuff. And then you get a bunch of unloving, cold-hearted individuals. Sounds like the Pharisees. Jesus Christ wasn't like that. Is there anywhere in the Bible where Jesus Christ appears to be a cold-hearted, unloving individual? Then why don't these people compare themselves? Oh, I forgot because they dispensationalized Jesus Christ right out of the Bible. And then they wonder why they have no peace, why they're miserable cranks, judging everybody, turning their noses down at everybody. It's disgusting, it's foul, it's ungodly, and it certainly looks nothing like Jesus Christ. But they exist, trust me. But if you want salvation of your souls, this is what Peter's saying. First to the continual deliverance from the power of sin. To put a cap on this, because we are getting back to our primary course of study, it is right to conclude that peace does not exist in the sphere of sin, for that sphere is death also. Up here on the board, Ephesians 2, 4-5. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I know one thing for sure. A dead person can't walk. But I know this too. Someone who's been made alive in Christ actually can walk. Imagine that. So all these commands that say, walk in a manner worthy as unto the Lord, be doers, not merely hearers, who stay still. All these things, walk by means of the Spirit. Why? Because He's the power. All these things, why? How? Because by the miracle of salvation, you've been made alive in Christ Jesus. And alive people do what? They walk. Everybody even walked in here, right? Even Frank, if he was here in his wheelchair, somehow that's his version of walking right now. Everybody walks. Every, when you're alive, you move around, right? When you're dead, you don't. That's the analog in the Bible. Why is that so difficult for people? Amen? 
All right. Now, let's get back to our primary course of study. That was just the precursor. That was just sort of the theme that's been coming from the pulpit at the start of every class now for quite a few classes. We need to get back to our primary course of study. We are studying the apostles who embody much of what we just learned, who wrote much of what we just learned, obviously. Um, here's our working framework up here on the board. But they lacked things, you know. Jesus Christ was training them up. He called them out, he trained them up, and then he sent them out. Those are the three bullets we've been working on at an even higher level than this on the board. He called them out, he trained them up, he left, and then he sent them out. He sent them out and then he left, right? Our working framework has been this. Even though he was training them up, even though he sent them out, they lacked things. They needed by grace to be prepared. And that's been our topic now for 34 parts. So the apostles lacked these things amongst other things, but these are the ones the Spirit wanted us to understand. They lacked understanding. They lacked humility. They lacked faith. They lacked commitment. And they lacked power even. And we can all relate to this. And when we relate to other human beings in the Bible, especially what you know most people would call special people like the apostles, special meaning they had a special calling on their life, this kind of a thing, we can be encouraged. Why? Because they weren't any different than us. So here's our principle from two Thursdays ago on this, on the topic of humility, because we've been just put, closing up shop on that one. Imperfect humility. While the apostles were humble enough to be saved, they lacked perfect humility afterwards. Only Jesus Christ was perfectly humble, perfectly oriented to his Father's plan. None of us are, and neither were the apostles. So they were humble enough to be saved. We know that's an absolute requirement for salvation, but their humility was not perfected. Like the rest of us, they had to continue to learn what true humility is in the spiritual life. So Jesus took time to teach his apostles humility. Go to Matthew 20. 25. Matthew 20, 25. Jesus saw it. He saw the lack of it. It would have been abundantly apparent to him. So he taught them. He said, well, what can I do for these individuals? I'll teach them what humility is. Matthew 20, 25. And humility, as we've learned, is not, aw shucks, I'm going to put my toe in the sand. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Remember, they had this long sort of running discussion amongst themselves, which probably irritated the heck out of Jesus, but he probably understood it as well. Oh, gee, I wonder which one's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, you know, because the kingdom's coming. Because here's the Lord, and it's right around the corner, right? I wonder which one of us is going to be the greatest. <laughs> What's he teaching them? He's like, whoever wishes to be the first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Okay, um, how are you going to serve if you never walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? How are you going to serve another human being? Are you gonna, do you serve them by just thinking about them? Is that how you serve them? I, I know a lot of people that point fingers. Oh, I know what that person needs. Oh, I know what this person needs. And they got opinions about everybody. But they never actually do anything to help anybody. They never actually serve another human being. They just sit from their ivory tower and point fingers and say, oh, I know what this needs, and I know what that person needs, I know what this person needs, I know what that person and everybody, they got all these opinions about other people, but they don't ever serve. They don't actually ever walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. They don't actually ever do anything. They're just hearers who delude themselves. Do you understand? They don't actually do anything. And Jesus said, you want to be great. This is, this is the conversation you want to have. You want to be great? Serve. You want to do something special? Serve. Not yourself. Serve others. And make a habit of it. 
Aren't we supposed to be spreading the very love of Christ? Aren't we? Aren't we supposed to be spreading his good news? Aren't we supposed to be spreading him? Aren't we supposed to be ambassadors, the very man who embodied love? How do we do that if we sit around and do nothing? Oh, man, I don't like this. I knew we should have stayed home, hon. Here it goes again. All this convicting stuff. That's not me convicting you, by the way. That's God the Holy Spirit. Good luck with trying to brush him off. Whoever wishes to be the first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. You want peace? Serve. Oh, wait a minute. No, that doesn't make sense at all. I know. That's what the world will tell you. The world will say, serve yourself and you'll be happy and content and peace and all kinds of All these things will be added unto you. Uh-uh. That's not what Jesus said. Serve. You want to be great? Serve. You want my peace? Serve. Because guess what I did? I served. I embody peace. I embody love. And guess how I lived? I served others. So you have to say to yourself, for those two things to... Cons- to listen to me. For those two things to coexist in perfect form, perfect format, then serving and peace are the same ball of wax, do you see? Does that make sense? In other words, Jesus Christ was the embodiment of all these things. He was perfect. So he didn't like over-serve and then lose some of his peace. He was a servant and he had all the peace. So what does it say about you? If you want all the peace, then guess what you have to have? A servant's heart. If you want to pray for something, pray for that today. Lord, make me a better servant. Lord, give me more faith. The apostles prayed that. Give us such faith. Give me whatever it takes to be a better servant. Don't fake it till you make it, though. That's grotesque, by the way. And that's why this is not a legalistic sermon. But ask him for more faith so that you might serve instead of serving yourself. Just reflecting on this topic, I was thinking before class how often we hear statements like, ah, you know, he's such a humble guy. Oh, she's such a humble gal. Just look at her. And it's almost as if the assumption is that they were born that way. Now, let me just do a little quick math with you. When there's no such thing as being born humble, since the human flesh is anything but humble, how can that stand to be true? The human flesh is awful. Awful. I was having this discussion with uh, Sean the other day. We watched um, this documentary called The Red Pill. And uh, it's about feminism and that whole thing. And it was just this vile creature of a woman. I mean vile. Vile. And I said, Sean, you ready? This is why you're not going to date until it's time to find the one you're going to marry. This is why. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. You ready? That beast right there... That disgusting, grotesque human being we just had to listen to and cringe the whole time, she's in every woman. Because every woman has a flesh. And all you're seeing is that woman's flesh completely unbridled. How would you like to deal with that? And he's like, whoa. I think I'm going to wait on this one. I'm going to wait. <laughs> it's the God's honest truth. This vile creature still wasn't indicative fully of what a woman is born with. That human flesh is so bad and so ugly, you don't want any part of it. You certainly don't want to marry it or definitely don't want to date it. You follow? Humans have to be humbled, or be humble, excuse me, to be taught humility. Humans have to be humbled to be taught humility. 
That means God's going to do whatever it takes to bring you to your knees. He's going to smash you down. He's going to say to you, you know what? You're really not that good at that thing. You thought you were, but it's meaningless anyways. So ponder that this weekend. Human beings have to be humbled to be taught humility. If there's one thing, among a few others, but if there's one thing I can say about this pulpit, is that's what he's been using it for. He humbles you. He comes with a rod. I know the staffs, you know, seems to be a little less these days. But that must be what you need because you're all arrogant. You have to be humbled. Somebody has to stand up for Jesus Christ and say, you know what? You're arrogant. You have to be humbled just to be taught humility. And then once you have humility, what does God do for that person? He gives grace to them. So what's on the other side of all this sort of, you know, these hard lessons? You know what's on the other side of it? Peace. Because that's where it leads to. But you have to be humble in the first place so that he can give you his grace, so that you can get the faith, so that you can have the peace. But if, you're, if no one's being honest with you, then you just remain in your arrogance. And you have some perversion of peace that never lasts. It's fleeting. Some of you have to realize, and let's face it, like just like when we were little kids, we never take anything at face value. Our parents say, don't do that because you're going to get hurt. So what do you do? You do it, and you get hurt. And the parent's like, I told you. Then like a you know, couple of weeks later, you remember last time? Don't do that again. You're going to get hurt. And it takes us like multiple times, right? It's the same thing. He has to do the same thing with us. We have to be humbled. We don't learn. We're slow learners. But at least let's be honest. So, yeah. You should be grateful to that part of this ministry that, it, if anything, it's been used in spades to humble you. I know that you don't always like it because I can see you. <laughs> this is my favorite. You ready? No, they don't even realize they're doing it. Arms crossed. You know, that's the defensive thing. Have you ever studied body language? <laughs> He's like, this is how I'm comfortable, all right? It's not really on. My arm. It's only crossed arms and it's touching. No, you know what I mean? People do this number. Now everybody's self-conscious, right? Wally Cleaver's nose. Oh, some people, why does not everybody laugh? Oh, no, oh, not everybody read the blog. I do read a blog, by the way. Right? I see that. I see all kinds of crazy things. I see your, your, your eyes go down. I see all kinds. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's fun. <laughs> Humans have to be humbled to be taught humility. So ponder that this weekend as well. We have one other scripture that we can grab on this subject of humility. Go to Mark 9.33. Mark 9.33. It's good to laugh. It's good to hear you laugh. Because we're all idiots, right? We're all arrogant. We're all depraved. We're all, uh, it's just awful. Our flesh is just on a rage lately. Well, mine is. <laughs> And what else can you do? I said, laugh at it. Be like, who's going to deliver me from this body of death, right, Dad? Because you left me here with this thing, this wild animal. What are you going to do? It's a very solemn subject. Take it very serious. But at the end of the day, don't take it so seriously that you're going to be completely depressed. Don't, because that's, that's where Satan starts to win. Don't be depressed about it. It is what it is. Mark 9.33, they came to Capernaum. And when he uh, was in the, in the house, he began to question them, what were you discussing on the way? I love this. But they kept silent. <laughs> For the, on the way, they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. <laughs> well, by the way, what he knew, by the way. What, what were you guys talking about? Oh, I think he's on to us. Make something up, Peter. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. I like the word all. It's probably pause in the Greek. All there. 
which really means there's no, in other words, if there was a room of all of us, your, your, your desire should be that everybody else is who you're serving. Not just the ones you love, because that's garbage, because you don't like the, no. Everyone, a servant of all. That's where you find peace. Because I'm telling you right now, as soon as you start making those lines in the sand, well, I don't like him and I don't like her, so I'm going to push them aside. I only like this one. That's when you lose your peace. Life becomes very complicated when you do that kind of a thing. Do you have a servant's heart or not? Are you going to ruin servanthood with partiality now? You're going to bring something ungodly into the equation? So you have this beautiful thing, a servant's heart. It's rare and ready to go, and all of a sudden the flesh comes in and says, are you really going to serve that one? Well, you know, I kind of don't like them, huh? Yeah, do you remember what they said about you last year? Write them off the list. Yeah, I'll do that. All of a sudden, the peace you had access to starts to dwindle. Starts eroding. And the flesh is like, yeah, and then you don't like that. And then by the end of it, the flesh has like one person out of 100 left. And it's like your spouse or something. <laughs> and so then you never leave the house. You never walk as under the Lord. You never serve others. You're just doing the same old thing you did yesterday. Did you follow? That's how you lose peace. What did Jesus say? If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So I was reflecting on that. This scene begs the question. Now, you've got to concentrate on this. I was thinking about the apostles in that moment. So, you know, Jesus is talking to them. They're having this discussion about who's the greatest. Do you think the apostles were thinking of themselves as arrogant in that moment? Just think about that for a second. In other words, did, had they caught themselves um, in the moment when they were discussing it? Do you think that they were thinking of themselves as arrogant in that moment? Do you think that they were overly concerned with their lack of humility? I mean, after all, he had just transfigured before Peter, James, and John. Okay, that's a big deal. Okay? And these same guys are like, I wonder who's the greatest. Might be missing the point. But in that moment, do you think they were contemplating their lack of humility? Or do you think they were just overwhelmed with their own self-absorption? and, You know, like you are, like I am, a lot of times. And furthermore, he had just made, a, so he just transfigured, and he had just made a statement that if they had been paying full attention, would have smashed all their preconceptions about the coming kingdom of heaven. So let's grab a little more context on this, shall we? And let this be a nice little exercise on the topic of grabbing more context for the sake of our own understanding. Go to Mark 9.31. Mark 9.31. So we're backing up a little bit, right? Mark 9.31. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them... Uh, is this difficult? Why did it take us so long? Weren't we like right in Mark already? What was everybody doing? What's wrong with you people? <laughs> Mark 9.31, For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand the statement, and they were afraid to ask him. Okay, so the interesting part about this passage is that they will... That is that we have the first two bullets of our study tied together into a unified thought. So the first one was lack of understanding. The second one is lack of humility. Verse 33. Remember, it's not, it's not really humble not to ask. Ask and you shall receive, right? Here he is, the man who said it in the, the very embodiment of knowledge and truth, and they're not asking. That's arrogance, by the way. That's not humility. That's that fake humility. Oh, shucks, I'm... And I'm afraid to ask. That's not real humility. That's actually arrogance. Anyways, Mark 9.33, they came to Capernaum again. And when he was in the house, he began to question them what we were discussing on the way. But they kept silent for the, on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So in the greater context of Jesus' teaching his disciples, 
one has to ask themselves if the apostles understood when they were saved whether or not this would even be an issue. You are right back there. That didn't sound human. <laughs> the apostles understood. You, you got to wonder if they understood if this would even be an issue. This idea of not having a kingdom come. Because they were discussing who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Their mind still was lacking understanding and lacking humility. This issue that they would have to be servants didn't sound like they wanted to be servants at all. It sounded like they wanted to be great in the kingdom. That turns out wasn't even coming. Not yet. But where were their heads? And then you have to ask yourself, I wonder if they were actually thinking that way. Like, hey, let's stop for a second. I think we might be being arrogant here, guys. That probably didn't cross their mind. Because Jesus had to correct them. In other words, it seems they are preoccupied with being great in a kingdom that they never see in their lifetime. And second, that, quote, greatness was void of servanthood it would seem. One gets the sense that in Jewish society, where the very culture esteemed prestigious things, that even the apostles had the, you know, you know this idea of I'm in the king's court, you see, so I'm greater than you type attitude. You know that attitude? I'm on the inn. I'm the inner circle. I'm like one of the inner circle people, so I guess I'm greater than you. And that was something that was commonplace in that culture. And it was carrying into these conversations as we see. And just, you know, by the by, if you think that kind of stuff doesn't happen today, then all I can tell you is that you are sadly mistaken. That stuff continues. People love to be in the know or a part of the inner circle of leadership which is why in many venues everyone's kissing the bosses behind and trying to spend as much time as possible with them. Why? Because everybody wants to be on the, you know, the, in, the inner circle. Why? Creature credit. Has nothing to do with servanthood, at least not that part of it. It has to do with creature credit. I'm on the inside. I, have, I know. You want to know something? You come to me. You heard it from me. You want to know something? You heard it from me. You don't, have, you don't even have to talk to the boss because me and the boss, we're so tight. We're so, so tight. You just talk to me. What's that all about? Creature credit. Of course it is. Best-selling books have been written on the subject. How to upsell. It's how you can identify an upward mobile person in industry. They don't even talk to their own peers half the time. They're always talking up. Sell up, sell up, sell up. Most of them have an ego the size of a dump truck. So some of you have seen such things at work. It's because there's a certain prestige associated with being close to those in power, even though it is a completely fleshly issue altogether, which is why Jesus was trying to hack it out of the souls of his apostles. And it's why the Spirit's trying to hack it out of your souls right now. Same reason. You lack humility, so you must be taught it. So our last example for today is on uh, faith. Although, let me see where I'm at. Yeah. Let's go to the next one. Let's press on. i got a couple of minutes I can press on through. What did the apostles lack? We looked at understanding. We looked at humility. And now we're upon faith. It's interesting that we started this morning's class on this topic, faith. And this is a big area because on the coattails of humility is what God gives. Faith, grace, if you would, as Scripture clearly states, God gives grace to the humble. So it's interesting, again, that the Spirit had us review humility 
right before faith. And I want to uh, close by reading a passage highlighted for faith. Go to Matthew 16, 5, and I'll close. Next time we'll focus a little bit more on the topic. Matthew 16, 5. So we finished understanding. They lacked understanding. They lacked humility. And they lacked faith. Matthew 16, 5. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to discuss this amongst themselves, saying, He said that because we did not bring any bread. <laughs> That's pretty funny too, right? Uh, anyways. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that we have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 or how many baskets full you picked up? In other words, why don't you have faith? You've already seen it. You've seen the miracles I'm doing. Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So that's a good entree, if you would, into the topic of faith. We'll get back to all this next time. Let's bow our heads and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to learn your word, to gather together, to break the very bread of life, to dine on it together, to enjoy it together, to be built up by it, to be edified by it, to be set free by it, Father. Thank you for the peace that you give us, that your Son has given us by means of grace through faith. We ask for blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.